This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap for the weekend. Marka Flalo is back with me and we're going to talk about, well, I think the biggest news of the day and it's going to make Marka Flalo very, very happy. A new Ooh. laptop is incoming. You're listening to Double Tap, the weekend edition, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Mark Aflalo. Hey, Double Tappers. Hey, Mark Aflalo. How are you? Hello. I'm doing good. You? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I have to, I'm very excited this week because I think I have the news that's going to make you so happy. Yeah, what are you talking about here? I don't believe you. I don't believe it. I have no, I, I'm anxious because I, I'm curious as to what you're talking about, but nothing's going to excite me. Okay, so there's a, a report just come in uh-huh. in my grubby little uh-huh. hands, and it says that the upcoming M2 MacBook Pro is going to be worth the wait. Hmm. <laughs> why do you, why do wow, you say this? So this is uh, an Apple leaker on Twitter who says that the new 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. Oh, you Pro can't believe be... anything you see on Twitter. Elon Musk on that now. I know, it's all fake news now, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it's going to bring better speeds, better battery life, and less heat. I have to be honest, my MacBook Pro. I'm just feeling it here, cold as ice, as uh, the band Foreigner once said. <laughs> and that's what my uh, that's what my MacBook Pro. Is. So this thing's going to get colder than that. Wow, I can put now, my hang milk on a in. second. Hang on a second here. Yes, there have been some surfaced leaks and benchmark tests, but no one knows if this is for a MacBook Pro. This could be a Mac Studio for all you know. Yeah, well, I have to be honest. I don't really mind which comes out first. What I would like is an upgraded Mac Pro. And actually, ideally, a Mac Pro that's a bit more affordable to more people. That's a Mac Studio, Stephen. No, but it's useless. I want to put PCIe cards in there. I want to have more expandability. Uh, okay, what if it was big enough for a PCIe card? Uh, then I'd be interested. You know, just one, just one. Although, we did see a thing. Was it Sonnet? S-O-N-N-E-T. Yes. I think it is the, the, the yes, company. Yes, they make a great adapter. And they have this thing, so it's like a Mac, um, well, for Mac Studios. I think they're doing it for Mac Minis as well. And it's like a rack mount unit. <laughs> this is where you're getting into proper geekery, right? You buy this rack mount unit. You put in your Mac Studio. And you've also got the option to put in there up to three PCI cards via an external Ooh. box. Nice. Nice. This is so exciting. I'm done. You know what? I'm done. I'm done spending money for the year. I'm done. Are you done? Uh, yep. I'm absolutely done. There's no, there's, you know what? Uh, I've got my Mac Pro. My MacBook Pro went back. I don't have a laptop right now. I'm buying time on a Costco purchase laptop that has to go back in January. I've got travel coming up in February with no computer in sight. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to end up buying, uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to try to live off an iPad for a month. You think you know, I can do it? That'd be interesting. That would be really interesting. Because the thing is, right, I mean, I'll be honest. The iPad for me, the blind guy here, no, nah, I'm not going to go down that route. It's just not, it's not going to work for me. But for you, as someone who this is aimed at, let's be honest, it's a creative device, especially the iPad Pro. You know, you've got the option to use. Okay, you don't get Final Cut on there, do you? Mm. No, no Final Cut. No, you don't get Final Cut. Yeah, okay. No so Adobe Edition. No, no Adobe Edition. No, no, this is terrible. No, no. Oh, but don't here's, live here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have come pretty far technologically speaking. You and I are connected right now over the internet in real time audio connectivity. Real time. We're able to have vi- video chats with FaceTime. Like, why on earth can I not remote control a computer that exists somewhere in the cloud? And use it as if it's right there. Like, why? Like, why? Tell me why over existing cellular or Wi-Fi technology, I can't just use my mouse, just like cloud gaming, you know? Like, mm. cloud gaming is instant. It's, it's, there's no latency. You can, you can drive a car with a cloud gaming over, over cellular, but I still can't control a computer that might live in the cloud or even in my house. Like, why can't I remote com- control a computer in my house and use it as if it's Almost like right there, so I can edit a video file if I need to. So when I hit the space bar, it plays back that video immediately so I can mm. see what's going on and I can hear what's going on. Why has that not happened? I know, and especially with the Microsoft Remote Desktop Client, which is actually the best way to to use a, a computer and about. And interestingly for us, you know, I use obviously the screen reader, and that means I'm essentially stuck to the keyboard. I'm not going to use a mouse. And the keyboards just don't work properly with these remote desktop applications. I mean, that's what it's for. I mean, I'm not saying that it has to be perfect for, say, the the JAWS application, but just for Windows generally, it would be kind of good if it just worked for that alone. 
Um, so you have, if you have keyboard inconsistencies going on, if you can't use the app in the way you would want with the keyboard, that's not going to work for anybody, never mind a blind person. So I think it's just really good that, you know, these options exist, but they're not in any way, I would say, something you would want to switch to. You certainly wouldn't, like you're saying, you know, go out of your office. Because I, I, I often thought about this when the pandemic happened or when, when after the pandemic or... I know everyone disagrees on this, but okay, at this stage in the pandemic, let's yeah. say that, so we don't get Twitter on our backs about it. Um, you know, at this stage, I kind of want to head out to a coffee shop and do some work. And that means I want to do a lot of stuff and I, want, I don't want to have to take, you know, everything with me. You know, I know. My laser printer, my monitor, my keyboard, you know, <laughs> laser computer. Take, take, oh, a, take a PC okay. and a MacBook just in case. You know, I just want to take one thing, one thing that's I'm simple. Take, can I go a step further here? Because you can't even go down to your basement and do that. No. <laughs> That's so like, true. I can't go. I my, my, I have a rack. I've got a, a 10 gigabit Ethernet connection. I've got gigabit networking throughout my house. I've got super Wi-Fi with ubiquity equipment. And I can't run. I can't remote control my computer that's in my basement from my bedroom with, with zero latency. Yet there are software solutions out there and there are things online for people to produce entire movies almost instantaneously from remote locations. I don't get it. I think it's just priority. I think is just not there. Or maybe I just don't know about it. If you guys, if you're listening to this now, and you know of a solution that will solve this for me, let me know what it is because I've, I've thought about this long and hard. I've got a, a brand new iPad Pro with an M2 processor that's more powerful than the MacBook Pro that I'm using, and I still can't <laughs> run the programs. I just want to be able to run if I need to run them. What is what is the problem? It's a hard life. I mean, it really is a hard life. When you, when you really dig down in it, it's a difficult life we lead, isn't it? Yeah, but that, that's not the most exciting part of my week. Go on then. I bought Metallica tickets. Oh, how boring. You want to come? Do you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm actually, I'm really annoyed. And this is a Canadian-related story. You'll like this. Okay. Um, I have had tickets to go and see this person for three years. Three years, okay. Three years. And the concert keeps getting put off and keeps getting put off and keeps getting put Which off. Which concert? Celine Dion? Exactly. Celine really? Dion! And wait, 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 doesn't she have a residency in Las Vegas? I, honestly, it would be quicker to pay her just to come to my house at this stage. I don't think you could afford that. I, well, I, I feel like I could afford it, the amount <laughs> I've spent on these tickets. Uh, and, you know, she was coming to Glasgow in Scotland. She was going to come to my hometown, and, you know, not, not for me personally. I mean, she was going to, you know, do a concert for everybody. And, um, you know, but she was going to come and do it. I think she's been in ill health which is the reason it's been held back. And the pandemic, of course, didn't help either. I hope you get well soon, Celine. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing Celine Dion. Now, th- th- this Motorhead people, is it Motorhead? No? Metallica, Metallica. Metallica, that's the one. Uh, Metallica. These people, they, they, they do loud music. Is that right? Loud music? Um, I mean, yeah, the, the music can be loud. <laughs> I'm out. That's it. I'm out. It's loud. I, I just, I can't do that. It's not, I, it's too much noise for me. And I'm assuming they play guitars loudly. They, they scream do. into micro. They don't. They, they, they do. don't observe proper uh, decorum around a microphone. That's what I find the, with these people. You know, uh, I mean, I'm looking online here, and I don't know if you've tried this this internet thing. Okay, I've heard. I took. I wrote Celine Dion tour. Yes, and I can see right here that she's going to be um, at London's O2. Yes, April 10th and 12th. Well, that's and so far. Sorry, 10th, 11th, and 12th. Yeah. Now, well, that's, that is so far. I that's think, at I think the O2. It, it keeps being put back. That's the, the only problem. one that's been pushed has been uh, Vienna, Austria, which you and I are going to, actually, funny enough. Yes. Um, at Wiener Stadelhal. I don't know what that means. Sounds offensive. But why aren't you looking online? Well, I, I've got an email from the people. The people send me an email. <laughs> and they me. say, she's coming or she's not. I, I, I'm not going to dig around here. They'll send me an email. And if she turns up, I'll be there. And if she doesn't turn up, then, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to go. You could just stalk these dates and these locations. I could, but I can't be bothered. I'd be, I'd be the worst stalker. I really would. I would be so bad at stalking people because I just can't be bothered. What okay. I'd like to do, I'd like to, if I was going to stalk somebody, I'd want someone who just never left the house. I'd stalk Sean because he doesn't because leave the house. Because you know he's there. Yeah, and I just know he's there and he's never going to go out and I can just, I can sit in maybe an adjacent shed and I'd be quite happy. Interesting. Okay. I can't. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to think we've lost the thread of where we were going in this. But um, what well, was Metallica? Was oh, yeah, that's about the one. Metallica. Yes. <laughs> 
So, are you excited about this? I, well, it's been so many years. It's been at least you know four or five years since I've seen them live, and I normally go once a year. I try to go. I try to follow places, but anyhow, that's just you know, you know, I like the concert experience. It's one of those things. I told my wife, I said, I don't care where they're playing, but after January, after we uh, we we deal with some family stuff, I'm going to see Metallica. I don't care where they are mm. because I've been I've been I've been told that I'm not allowed going anywhere because I might get COVID. How's that going? Not very well because I have COVID. Ah, oh, damn, that's not great, right? If so you're wondering why I'm a little bit nasal, that's that's the reason. So, um, uh, so don't but, go out uh, the house. You might catch COVID. Too late, you've caught COVID. You and know I, the problem and here? I must you tell get... you that I, not only did I catch it, but I, ca- I haven't left the house in, in weeks. I, but I know your problem. I can tell you your problem. Right now, kids? I can tell you the I issue. Have kids. You have children. <laughs> that was the biggest mistake. If you didn't have children, you wouldn't have COVID today. Have you considered that? Um, I, I actually have considered that. I consider that on a, a quite quite an often uh, quite an often basis. You know what I'm excited for, Stephen? Uh, you know it's uh, you know December now, which means yes. we're uh, about a month and a couple of days away from CES. And uh, oh, yes. this is the last time I caught COVID. Uh, so CES, <laughs> this is not a good. It wasn't even caught COVID. Good theme here. Um, and and we're lining up interviews and stuff for for this show and for the TV show. And there are some really cool companies out there uh, putting up some amazing, amazing technology that I'm excited to discover. There's some amazing technology I'm excited to rediscover and find out more about, like Biped. Remember they made that oh, vest yeah. with all the sensors on it that helped you ditch the white cane? And actually, are they back at CES next year? They're back at CES. They've got some announcements. We're going to be well, talking listen, to the founder. I'm really glad because we've had a few emails into the show in the past couple of weeks saying, what happened to Biped? What happened to them? Oh, really? No, we're going to be talking to their founder. Brilliant. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, he's going to be back on the show. We did speak to him last year. They had some announcements last year. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see see what's going on with them. Maybe maybe they're in retail. We're going to see. We're going to find out. But a lot of really cool companies. Um, we're going to be talking to the uh, the the head of the uh, foundation, the CTA, the Consumer Technology Association Foundation. They do a lot of work around assistive tech. So we're going to talk to him. We're gonna, it's a fun show. We always do this one hour special of mm. Double Tap TV, and of course, a lot of that bleeds through onto onto this show because we have a little bit more time here to kind of uh, spread our legs, so to speak. Or spread, spread our wings. Our That's legs. a little bit less. Yeah, uh, yeah. spread our wings. Strong wings. advice against wings. that. Yeah, let's uh, against it. Anyhow, <laughs> how, how's your week been? <laughs> better than that. Um, better than all of that, actually. Although I have uh, joined what is now known affectionately between Sean and I as the 4 a.m. club, because uh, both of us now we seem to be waking up at four o'clock every morning. Uh, not oh. together, I should add, but um, we are. I would hope. W- yeah, well, certainly. So would I. Um, I mean, we're we're close, but we're not quite Bert and Ernie, you know. So might be a couple of Muppets, but we're not Bert and Ernie. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun week so far. Uh, I want to talk to you about CES though, because you know you've been looking into what's coming up, and one of the things about CES every year is it kind of drives us towards or gives us a sense of where we're going in terms of the theme of the year, what the kind of technology that is coming. Um, you know, it kind of sets trends, and I'm intrigued to know what, from what you've seen so far. Is there anything that gives you a sense of what the the, the trend will be next year? I'm going to be honest. I think the trend is going to be the same as what we've seen over the past um, past three CESs, which is uh, IoT, really just connected devices. Mm. Um, I know that seems broad because, you know, our frigidaires are connected these days. Our phones are connected these days. But more and more devices are getting those smarts. We're going to see a lot of stuff around smart home technology, around the introduction of matter, which is something we'll talk a bit more uh, later on in the show. We're going to mm. break down what that is. Um, but yeah, definitely around IOT and connected devices, but it's hard to really pinpoint if there's some kind of breakthrough thing, you know, there was drones one year. It was all about the drones that were absolutely everywhere. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of that. And, and also just, I think cloud computing in general, just things being, you know, we joke off the top of the show, but things being more accessible online from anywhere. Yeah. And that would be the best thing. I will say, though, Sean and I tried something recently, which is kind of cool. Now, you and I, uh, we use a, a program called AnyDesk. If I've got an issue or something and I say to you, hey, could you you know, log into my computer and just have a look at it? You'll use AnyDesk in order to see my screen and be able to use my computer remotely. Did you know, though, there's like a secret blind edition of that? No, and I didn't. Tell me. What, I've what, what, never what, what? used it. In all the years I've used the JAWS screen reader, I never knew it had it. NVDA has it as well, the free screen reader for Windows. 
But yeah, basically it has this feature. So in JAWS, it's called JAWS Tandem. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to take control of someone else's computer if you know they have to allow you in. It's very similar to Microsoft Quick Assist in the way that it works. You have a six-digit code. You you know get that code from the other person. You put it in. You connect. And the whole thing is done with the screen reader. There's no visuals at all. So you just access the computer by audio only. And you can hear what's going on on the computer because obviously you can hear their screen reader and you can hear what's going on and you can manipulate the computer, do what you need it to do. But it means that two blind people can essentially help each other out. And it's a really cool feature. A lot of people will be like, yeah, yeah, it's been around for years, but I didn't really know how... I had a feeling it was more complicated than it would be. Oh. And it was really simple. There is a visual option as well. You can have a screen. So you tend to find people who are uh, either have some vision or perhaps trainers who want to view what's going on. Actually, this is kind of where it came from. It came out of the whole training thing. When you're training someone on how to use JAWS, it meant that they could see your computer and they could see what's going on. Because on screen readers, it's not something I care about very much, but there are these things called caption panels. VoiceOver has it where it will actually show you, like if you're using Braille, for example, it will show you visually on screen what you're typing in Braille so that if you're training with someone, they can see it. Because uh, trainers who, for example, train Braille will, will do it visually rather than by touch. So, you know, they can see what's going on on screen. But for those who just want to connect to each other, there's that blind option. I'd love to see Microsoft develop something like this into Narrator or even just get Quick Assist to do it. Because to be honest, that's not perfect. It doesn't carry the audio. So you only get the visuals of the of the screen. You can't manipulate the computer. And what you need is not only to be able to control the computer, but you need to have focus on that computer so that every key press you do is on the remote computer, not on your own that's where the challenge lies. Because oftentimes if you're on a different program and you hit the Windows key, it's going to activate the start menu on your computer, not the remote one. So you need it to be able to focus there. And uh, that's what these JAWS tandems and NVDA remotes do. So um, yeah, blind way of doing it. It's funny. I just looked up. I figured sometimes it's about how you look for things online, mm -hmm. how you search for things. And I looked up uh, lowest latency remote desktop for video editing. And I got this thing called Parsec. Okay. I mean, it's an ad, parsec.app. Um, they uh, low bandwidth, insanely fast remote desktop software for demanding creative work. Clients include Blizzard. They use it a lot in gaming. Um, another company called Splashtop. I have no idea who they are. Um, there's a remote PC, which I've heard of, of course, um, and some other ones. But I'm going to try this Parsec one. Also, here's one for you. I don't know if you – I spotted this this week. I was looking for – I actually don't know what I was looking for, but this came up. Uh, it's, a, it's a website called Tech Hit, and um, it's techhit.com. And they have a number of different products, right? Lots of different applications that you can get. And the one that came up first when I was searching around was called um, Twinbox. And what Twinbox does is it puts Twitter into Outlook. So you can benefit from all the features of Outlook and have Twitter built in. Now, oh. recently, I've been playing around with RSS feeds on Twitter, on Outlook, and I've been thinking, this is kind of cool. So I could have Outlook as my RSS reader, as my Twitter handler, uh, and it all works with the same keyboard commands that you would use for, you know, regular Outlook, so you can reply the same way, so you'd have to go and learn a whole new bunch of new commands to use it. So I don't know how accessible it is, but then if it's, in, if it's built into Outlook, it should be fine. So that sounds now, pretty it cool. Is it hosted or is it local on the computer? This is what I always ask mm. because sometimes you want these things to be available on Outlook everywhere, right? Like I want to use it on my, my mobile device, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the time they're physical download and add-ins like that. I think this is. I think this is a mm. physical add-in. Uh, but interestingly, you say well, that there fired. is a setting now in Outlook that I found. I was, I was obviously clearly bored enough one day. I was going through the settings in Outlook. <laughs> this is what I do at four o'clock in the morning, guys. And, um, I was like going through all these different features and one that came up was, you know, essentially store the settings for Outlook in the cloud. I didn't really know what that meant at first, but one, okay. one thing I find is when you log into Outlook on a new computer, one of the challenges I've had is opening up shared inboxes. So we have a shared inbox for our feedback, right? So our feedback at doubletaponair.com has its own inbox. I want to connect to that. And every time I set up a new instance of Outlook, I have to go and add it. Well, not anymore, because now, because those settings are stored in the cloud, whatever you've got will just automatically open up and appear on the other one. So that saved me a heck of a lot of time. Uh, it was funny because I was trying to find the setting for it, and eventually I navigate to it, and it said, you've already got this mailbox. And I'm going, what? How's that? And, of course, there it is. 
because it's already in the system. So I don't know if that would apply to this. I guess not, but you do have that option. It's good to know. But they do have some other cool stuff in there. And there's one I wanted to mention. Um, I mean, there's lots of different little uh, applications, but the one I, I wanted to pick up on, and this is for anybody. This isn't a blind thing. This is for anybody, but it will be really useful to blind people, is a one called Quick Jump. So I don't know about you, but on Windows... You know, I'm navigating by keyboard, right? So I have to open up my Windows Explorer, so Windows E, and then I have to shift tab into the navigation tree file, then D, 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 D to get to my double tap Dropbox, then enter on that, then tab across to get to the list, and then arrow down to double tap audio and go in there and E for episodes. And this is what I'm doing every day. And it gets a bit of a nightmare because if you're doing that five or six times an hour, it gets a bit, it gets a bit annoying, to be perfectly honest. Can't I just quickly jump to the folder I want to get to? On a Mac, I can do it a lot easier. But on a Windows PC, you've got to go through that whole tree. You've got to, you know, essentially dig down into finding it. Well, Quick Jump says, according to this, and I'm going to try it this week, that this can do this. This can essentially open up a window that says to you, type in exactly the folder you're looking for. It will bring it up in a list. You choose it, you hit enter, you're in. And that only doesn't just work Mm. in... Windows Explorer, but if you're saving a file, you can invoke this to actually find the source location and then basically get right to it in whatever save window or open window dialogue you're in. So I think that's pretty cool. And it's invoked with a very simple um, command, which I think if I'm right in saying, I'm trying to remember off the off my uh, top of my head, but I think it was something like Control-Shift-J or something. I can't remember exactly, but I'll, I'll do a little demo next week on the show. Um and basically opens up this window. Now, the good thing is, this has been built, and this is really important to me, Mark, this is such an important thing. It's been built for, like, I guess, Windows 7, right? So it's an okay. old dialog box system. You know what that means? Fully accessible. <laughs> right? Nice. It's not new. It's not fancy. It's really simple. It's boring. That's the kind of tool I'm looking for. So techhit.com is the website. I'm going to do a bit of review of their products next week because there's a number of them. There's lots of different things that do all kinds of different features and stuff, and it might just be worth checking them out to see what they do. Um, it's simple. It was easy to attach. Uh, there's one message save. You can do things for attachments as well. So, for example, if you always have attachments, uh, you know, and you want to maybe save them somewhere, you can automate that process. It will just automatically grab the attachment and chuck it in the file you want, even rename it if you want. So there's loads of tools out there that can just automate and speed up the process of your day. You know, those mundane tasks you do every day that can take you a while, you can just speed them up by running these applications. So I think that's well worth mentioning. Interesting. I I, I definitely like that. I want to try that out now. And that's, that's exactly it, right? It's for everybody. It's not just for blind people. But hey, if it helps blind people, brilliant. If it helps you, brilliant. Um, now, coming up, we're going to be talking about something which I've been playing with. I see, actually, I've got it over there. The Philips Bridge, the Philips Hue Bridge, is uh, something I have oh, sitting okay. still in the box. You have what? Why? I know. Wait, 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 wait. Philips. I mean, Philips Hue is one of the first smart home devices that I ever purchased for my home. Oh wow! I mean, I think definitely it was the color changing bulbs that was kind of fun. You wanted to play with. You can automate it at the time. It was neat. Eventually, I, I graduated to Lutron switches around my home. But I've got a lot of Philips around my house, especially outdoors. My garden lights, they, they are by by far some of the best quality smart home products on the market. Best bulbs as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, you have not even used yours yet? That's it. Why? It's still in the box. I know. I haven't even got the bridge set up. And here's the laugh. So we bought this lamp. My wife was telling me the other day that she wanted to buy um, one of the, you know, the one of those lamps you get for what they call it SAD, the seasonal effectiveness disorder. And this light, it can, I don't know if you know about this, but basically these lights that can, you know, emit a certain amount of light. They kind of raise up the, the light as the, the sunlight comes in in the morning. They'll go down as the sun goes down or whatever it is. I don't know how it all works, but basically the, the light dims over the course of time and then disappears off, and it's supposed to help you get to sleep at night and wake up in the morning, especially on cold winter days when it's really bleak outside. Welcome to Britain. Um, So (laughs) I bought this thing called the Philips Wellness Lamp, which I didn't even think about at the time. I just wanted to have a Philips light. I thought this was like a really cool uh, Philips lamp. I have to tell you, the most pointless $100 I've ever spent in my life. So what does it do? So... (laughs) It's basically to sell it to you as a lamp, 
right? So it's got a frosted glass top. It's got a frosted glass dome, which you could get anywhere. It's, you know, got some kind of wooden base. And you put the, the bulb in it. Essentially, you've just spent $100 on a bulb. That's what you've done. Because this thing, it does no more than that. It's not a smart lamp. It's just a bulb. So the bulb is the same as that you can buy for $30. But you have to spend an extra, you know, $70 just to have the casing. And then you can't even use it. You can't use any of the functions unless you buy the bridge. You have to have the bridge, otherwise none of the functions of it will work. You know, all that, you know, raising light. So right now I have literally got it just turning on and off. And my wife was talking about buying one of these lamps and I'm like, hang on, I think we've already got this. I think that's what this thing is. It's got, I've got it sitting next to your bed. It's, it's already there. And I think that is the problem. So I now have to, I have to get this set up because not only that, I've spent over the course of the last month probably $700 on bulbs for the house. So... I've put. I've been buying all the bulbs, and I've got everything there. So everything's sitting in the box, ready to go. And then at some point in the very near future, I'm going to be getting this all hooked up. And I hope it's a fully accessible process. I should record myself doing it, um, and you can hear how I go. But I don't. I'll have to edit out all the swear words. But um, <laughs> no, it should be. It should be good. But you're right. I mean, look. The one thing I'll say about Phillips Hugh, and the reason I went for it was because when we moved into this house. We didn't get smart bulbs in, but we did get Phillips lights. We got the recessed lights in okay. the kitchen. Yep. And the guy said to me, these are Phillips bulbs. And actually, no, I'll tell a lie. We actually got them. This was it. We actually got them in the previous house and we brought them with us. That was it. Because I said, I thought they were so mm-hmm. expensive, the bulbs. I brought the bulbs with me and I bought really cheap ones to put in for the new people who were buying the house. And um, so I brought them. <laughs> At least I bought bulbs for them. So anyway, I bring all the Philips bulbs here. We put them in our kitchen. We put them in our bathroom. They're really nice. You know, they've got that kind of uh, cool, is it the cool white? I think it might be. The cool white light, quite a bright, great for the kitchen, great for my wife. She likes lots of light. And, you know, as visually impaired people, that's something you have to always think about is the best lighting. Um, So, you know, these were fantastic. They have been in my house. We are about to be 10 years in this house and they're still going. Not one has gone. 10 years. Mm. They really do last. Now, these are not smart, but what they did tell me was that they are really good because they're flicker-free. Some of the cheaper ones, you get that flicker. I don't know if you notice it, but with my condition, oh my God, the the flicker is horrible. And I just can't, it makes me feel sick. So I can't sit with that. If I go into someone's house and they're using cheap bulbs, I have to call them out on it. I'm like, guys, you got it. You got to fix this because I can't sit here. I have to sit with the lights off because it makes me feel physically sick. It's just because I've got nystagmus, the eyes move, everything flickers all the time. So it's just horrible. Uh, It was the same with plasma TVs. I could not look at a plasma TV. I would throw up if I had to look at a plasma TV. Plus, they were terrible. So, um, yeah, that's so I've got my Philips bridge. I'm going to get that set up. After the break, we're going to talk more about Phillips because you had a really cool interview that we were going to get to. So stick around. This is Double Tap. Can't get enough Double Tap? Subscribe to the podcast and get your fill of Double Tap every day. Visit DoubleTapOnAir.com and follow us now. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. You're listening to Double Tap with me and uh, Mark Aflalo. No, I didn't forget your name. Honestly. (laughs) Um, listen, you've got a really good uh, conversation uh, that we're going to play in uh, in parts today because um, it's two parts really of the conversation. One is about Phillips Hugh, the other is more about matter and the, the big uh, the big question around matter. What is it? What does it mean? Because a lot of people are wondering about this. What does it actually? What, what's so important about this word matter? Why does matter matter? So we'll get that question answered later. Tee up this first part of the interview you did this week. You know, Stephen, I had the opportunity to sit down with a guy. His name is George Iani, and uh, I think it was in the Netherlands he came. I, I, I think we, t- we talk about it in this clip. You'll hear where he's actually coming coming to us from. He's the CTO of Philips Hue. And, you know, I originally did this interview because we were going to talk about Matter, which is a new smart home protocol that we're going to get into still as well. But uh, I, I want you to listen to this clip and and hear how my conversation started with George because he threw out a little bomb that I, I never thought I'd ever expect. You know, you, you know, you sit down with people, you talk to them, and you expect you know to know what you're getting into. Mm. And then I realized how far he goes back with the company. Take take a listen to this. 
all the way from the Netherlands. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, I think if our audience out there, if they don't know the Philips Hue name already, I mean, we can probably refresh them. But I don't think there's probably a soul in the world who doesn't know Philips Hue. But 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 tell us, George, how long have you been with Philips? And and tell us about about the company and the kind of roots because I think we know Philips as a brand through many different platforms and devices, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll let you fill in the blanks. So um, I'm actually uh, uh, part of the team that started uh, Philips Hue. Um, we were an internal startup uh, within Philips, um, which uh, yeah was pitched to uh, try and change how consumers around the world interact with their lighting, with technology. And uh, yeah, 10 years ago, we uh, launched uh, almost to the day. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much doing that every day. Um, yeah, Philips, of course, has been around for over 120 years. We were the the company that uh, first industrialized the light bulb um, in the, the city of Eindhoven, where I'm based today, um, and uh, yeah, has uh, since spun to be uh, a broad company in many consumer electronics areas. Um, I joined the company back in 2007 um, and uh, yeah, started uh, with Philips Hue in uh, 2011. Um, the lighting division since spun out of Philips. They're actually an independent uh, company called Signify, but uh, continue to use the Philips uh, brand mark and the Philips Hue brand mark, which uh, is recognized by consumers around the world. Yeah. I'm going to have to rewind because you threw out a good bomb there that I wasn't aware, of, which was that you were you know, there at the beginning pitching this concept. What? No. Okay. I lots of questions there. Okay. Number one, where did the concept come from? Like, what was the need or what did you see? that was going on that that sparked this idea to connect our light bulbs? Yeah, so um, when I joined uh, Philips, um, like I think most people in the world, um, I hadn't spent too much time thinking about the, the lights that are around me all of the time. Um, and I joined the company and uh, was participating in projects doing amazing things with lighting that I'd never even thought of as a consumer. We were using light to help improve students test scores we were using lights to help buildings half their energy consumption we were using lights to make dark scary parts of cities places where people go to socialize um, and so it was always a bit of a frustration in my early days at phillips that i was doing all this amazing stuff that you no know, none of my friends and family knew anything about <laughs> so it was kind of a you know deep-seated desire that i wanted to change that and make some of these amazing things accessible to consumers um, so when the, the first uh, iPhones uh, came out um, and I started playing around with using that phone to test different user interface concepts for lighting, um, initially to prototype physical remotes, but yeah, quickly realized that actually this is a fantastic way to tell these stories and expose new functionality towards consumers. Um, simple things like let them name things, let them drag to the color they want, uh, let them see a, a picture and, and choose the ambience from that are all possible in that way. And that's when we got started trying to build uh, yeah, software for consumer lights. And yeah, look where we are 10 years later. Was, was that a hard sell? Like, because are you, you, of course, thinking outside the box and obviously also kind of selfishly wanting people to know what you're working on, right? Was that a hard sell within the company or did people buy in fairly quickly? So, so I think the, the the concept of you know unlocking kind of this value beyond illumination, beyond giving light uh, for consumers, I think that was well recognized. I mean, that was something that we were trying to do in many fields. Um, I think where we uh, got some uh, surprise and pushback was in how you could deliver that towards consumers. You know, we uh, uh, when we started, uh, we went set about building the first color changing internet connected light bulb. Um, and uh, that was difficult uh, back in uh, you know, 2011-12. Uh, that was just barely possible with the technology. Normal LED light bulbs uh, were only recently becoming uh, mainstream possible. Doing a color tunable one um, yeah, was seen as uh, ambitious um, and, and costly. So uh, when we uh, you know, pitched that we wanted to take a, a commodity that most people were paying a, you know, a dollar for to add a light bulb to their home and sell it for $60, they, some people thought we were crazy, um, but yeah, that's what it costs to actually make these products with good experience. And we did it. And uh, luckily, uh, they uh, they all sold out in the first week. Um, so we were off to a good start. I'm, I'm sure the result, I'm sure they were, you were happy yourself, but I'm sure the people who said, okay, let's try this out were ecstatic about it. Um, y you know, the first color changing internet connected light bulb, it seems 
when you say that today that it would be so long ago, but it's not. It's not. It's not so long ago. Even you talk about the first iPhone. You know, that device sparked so much ingenuity across different platforms. And here you are, you know, giving proof positive that that comes, you know, comes to fruition over over at Philips. How have how fast have things gone since then? Or how does it feel to you? Um, I mean, like you say, it's amazing to think that it's you know only 10 years ago that you know we thought controlling devices in our home with our smartphones was a totally alien concept and now it's totally normal right we we speak to our homes we have apps running on all variety of uh, of screens inside our homes the world has changed uh, a lot 10 years ago um there was a uh, huge amounts of things which uh, seem you know very normal today which were very alien back then it was not a normal thing to control devices around us from our smartphones. It had only just got started. And today we find that very normal, right? We can interact with our, our TVs, yeah. with our lights, with our thermostats. Um, this all seems very normal. Um, and the pace of change has been enormous. Um, and uh, I think it's been surprising that we've actually been able to keep finding new ways to change how people interact with their homes. There's no shortage of ways to do things better, functionality, which makes sense. Um, and yeah, there's still plenty of, of innovation ahead. Um, but what surprised me the most is how normal it seems. <laughs> normal it seems to control my home with my phone, to speak to my home, um, to have buttons on the wall which send commands up to the cloud to initiate scenes that I've programmed in a voice speaker. <laughs> uh, huge amount of technology around us just kind of invisibly helping control our lives. What a fascinating guy. I mean, just... Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine you wanted to speak to him for hours because once you learn that the, about the, Phillips um, and his involvement, we, right? We spoke for about 30 minutes and then the line cut. Um, <laughs> and then I had to go on to something else. And it was like, I'm like, I, it's funny because I do these, you know, we do these interviews and we, um, I don't, I don't feel like I do them because I have to. Mm. I really do enjoy having these conversations with people. Yeah. And I think that they get that kind of vibe when we have a conversation and it's not all this stuffiness and formal you know okay tell me what you said in the press release mm. and um yeah we could definitely talk for hours but and the other thing we got into in the and the real premise for this was that um matter um we've heard a couple of, of yeah. terms in the smart home space thread and matter and thread is basically a protocol that works um, between smart home devices it allows them to kind of communicate with each other so that you don't have to rely on on things like your Wi-Fi in your home and congest it. But Matter is interesting because Matter was just approved by the, I guess, Consumer Technology Association, whoever approves this stuff. And Matter is going to be a protocol. So it's imagine it's like a universal translator between all smart home devices. So anything that's going to be released or created from this point forward that is matter compatible, we'll be able to communicate with each other. So that means that in a couple of years from now, your Amazon Echoes, your Google Homes, your Apple smart speakers, your doorbells, your lights, everything will communicate with each other. You won't have to worry about compatibility with software and hardware. It's all just going to work. And I asked George to kind of break down things for me because they, being Philips, are on the board of matter. They're one of the founding members, along with Apple and some other companies. And uh, they announced that their Philips Hue bridge, the one you have there that happens you haven't set up yet, <laughs> is already matter compatible and will just have to be enabled with a software update, which was against things that I've heard in the past, which was you would need to have a whole new bridge. So take a listen to how he explains it. Can you describe for our audience in a very uh, at least techie way possible what matter really is and why it's significant in the way our smart homes are going to evolve? Okay. So um, what matter is, is it's a common language which devices in the smart home can use to talk to each other. And why that's important, and I think um, people should care about, um, is it means it makes it much simpler to know what works with what. Uh, today in the smart home, um, every device pretty much has their own language that they speak. 
And typically they support a few other languages which are owned by big smart home companies. You know, think uh, you know, Amazon Alexa, Apple HomeKit, Google Assistant, Samsung Smart Things, you know, the, the big ones. Um, and to know which features work and which devices work with which of those ecosystems today is a bit of a journey of discovery. Right. And uh, if you decide to switch out and try to use other things together, you might find out some of those products do not work in the way you want. Now, with Matter as an agreement between all of the major device makers and all of the major smart home ecosystems to say, let's use this common language so we can make it simple for consumers. They look for one mark, the Matter mark, and you know these things will work together. Um, I think that's amazing that the industry has been able to come together and work yeah. toward a common way of doing this uh, the last few years. And I'm proud that uh, you know, Philips Hue has been, uh, been part of that uh, journey. Now, in coming towards this new universal language, of course, you want it to be awesome, right? You want to take all the best things of all yeah, of the of other things that are out there. Um, and I think a lot of important things have landed in there to make that true. Um, unlike a lot of the smart home standards, um, it's local. So devices speak directly to each other, not via any cloud backend, which makes things really fast um, and really secure, right? In a much better way than was possible before. Uh, and that just isn't possible um, if you don't agree a single language because the devices then have to natively support it and they just don't have the space and the memory to support multiple of these local interfaces where you had this cloud layer in between. So it makes things faster, makes things easier to understand. Um, and why I like it as a, as a company building you know, devices for your home is I have a seat at the table, right? So if there's new functionality that I want to get built um, in these smart home experiences, um, yeah, I can contribute and lobby that functionality and be sure that all of the platforms um, will have the ability to support it in the same way. And I won't have to do something different um, for all of the different devices, uh, all of the different ecosystems that are out there. Um, yeah, at launch, it's new, right? It's going to take some time before everything supports it properly and the interoperability is sorted out. But over time, this is going to be uh, yeah, quite a significant change to what works with what, how well things perform. And I think it's going to open the doors for a lot of new companies to do interesting smart home things because suddenly... It's not just huge companies that can do smart home use cases. Uh, any small company out there can do some interesting um, smart home device or app um, and not have to worry about interoperability, what works with what. Just have to wor worry about building a great product experience. Hmm. And I think the thing for me is there, just really interesting, but picking up on that is the fact that that Philips Hue bridge I've got, I'm not going to have to go buy another one. You know, I'm <laughs> going to be able to get that update. And that's, that's, that is crucial for a lot of people who've spent a lot of money on smart home tech already. They're thinking, yeah. oh God, really? I need to go buy another thing. I've got to go and change it again. Well, that's why I like, I like uh, the Lutrons of the world and the Philips of the world because they have a hub, right? So it's one mm. piece. Even if you did have to change something down the road, it's one component that you have to change that allows you to control everything else in your home. So same thing with Lutron. Lutron has their hub. It's hardwired. Uh, every single light switch comes to it. So it, it's, it's, it's a path of least resistance, I would, I would go to say. Would you say that Lutron and Philips, those are the more mature? I mean, they're very expensive, but Here's they the are thing. the more mature platforms. These companies have been around for 30 plus years making light switches and making lights and bulbs and stuff like that. They've got an incredible wealth of experience in this space of what they're controlling in the first place. Adding the internet connectivity control to it with the same standards at which they've designed their products just means that these guys are going to be solid. You know, and I think that's why, you know, people don't buy Philips Hue because of the price point. It's not cheap. But they do buy Philips Hue when they realize that they wasted their money on the other stuff that doesn't work as well. <laughs> so true. I, I know what you're saying because I feel – I don't want to say what I bought, although people probably know that I bought IKEA. And IKEA was good. Don't get me wrong. The yeah, only thing, it's, it's okay for the IKEA. price. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's okay for the price. Yeah, and, and to definitely. be fair, the only thing I found with it was this: the, the bulbs didn't have a huge amount of range in terms of color and light at that yeah. stage. So you know things have obviously changed and they've brought new things. And again, I'd have to go buy more stuff. But once you're making that decision to go out and buy something new, 
you are thinking about, okay, and I did it over a period of months. I just built up in little pockets through the month. I'd take some money, I'd spend some on, you know, a motion sensor or yeah, you know, exactly. a switch or whatever. And, and you can just build it up over time. Take a room at a time. Uh, and I think that's actually the best way to do it because then you're kind of checking everything works the way you want, you're comfortable yeah, with exactly. it. exactly. And then you can gradually roll it out across the, the house. Now, of course, one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show is data. And we talk <laughs> about data. safety of data, right? <laughs> Security of it. And it was interesting because I spotted this story this week about Eufy, E-U-F-Y. Um, I didn't know they were, uh, that was a brand of Anchor. The, the Amazon brand. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny you bring up Anchor because I just bought something pretty cool from Anchor on, on Cyber Monday. Um, uh, it's totally off topic, but just a small, tiny 65 watt USB C adapter the size of my, like, the old Apple iPhone. Oh, they're brilliant it's, for that. They, they make great stuff like that. However, yeah. um, you know, these online only brands that don't have a retail presence, it's kind of like I almost kind of put them in the IKEA category in terms mm. of their devices, in terms of reliability and quality and build. And Eufy, yeah, the Eufy is a brand of Anchor, the Anchor, and they make some pretty good security stuff, so cameras and stuff like that. However, this story that you're talking about, um, the company was accidentally um, making some of their footage available in the cloud, accessible by unencrypted streams. Mm-hmm. This means someone could, uh, you know, see what your doorbell sees. Thankfully, we don't do nefarious things in front of our doorbell. Right, Stephen? Well, some of us do. I mean, I've done some dodgy dancing just to check it worked. Dodgy dancing. Well, that's uh, some people might call it dancing. I would call it dodgy dancing because, frankly, it's just very dodgy. And you could even argue it's dance if it's even dancing. Um but that's just me. Uh, but no, what I will say is you're right. We, we're not doing you know nefarious things. We're not you know um, I don't know trying to get the the mistress in the front door you know with our doorbell. And if you do that, you're an idiot. Um, yeah. Well. But you know if you if, <laughs> use the back anyway. Uh, but no, you, you can <laughs> unless you've got a ring doorbell at the back as well. I've got floodlight cam. Oh no. Oh, no. But, yeah, but this is maybe kind of the tech. Isn't it? it's, it's that kind of stuff. Part. Is this this is, is this a mistake on Yuffie's part? Do you think? Is this just been an error? They, they've just it's an update. I would, I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would hope it's a mistake. Um, you know, or some kind of patch they need to, to throw in there to make sure their products are uh, do not do it anymore. Uh, it's not clear how many actual devices aside from the doorbell were affected, but you can literally with an IP address just pull up the actual feed, which is interesting. They haven't actually publicly uh, responded to the claim it says here, mm. uh, but the evidence is there. So we're waiting it's to just, hear it's back. It's just funny, right? Because it says on the website, apparently, Yuffie's website, no one has access to your data, but you. Uh, and us, it should not and say. You, and you, and you, and you, <laughs> and, and you. And you, and you. You get data. You get data. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I think when, with all these cloud devices, I think we all have to be a little bit careful anyway. It's interesting. I saw another article the other day um, just, just on this very similar thing, people buying the Amazon Echoes and buying, you know, smart devices at this stage. You know, are you aware of the privacy settings? We're actually going to do something on this next week. We're going to talk about this on the show next week. What you maybe need to do when you buy your new device, maybe look at the privacy settings and see what's in there. And we're going to do a bit of a walkthrough and some of the things we think you should be thinking about. Like, for example, you know, do you want Amazon to be able to hear and listen to your recordings of your voice, which they do in order to improve the service, but you might not want that. And if you don't want that, you might have to put up with a slightly less, um, how can I put it, intelligent AI, an intelligent Lady A. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the price of it. I mean, look at Siri, for example. You know, if they're not recording and they're not sending that data. And although well, there was an accusation they were doing that for a while, but they say they're not doing that now. You know, if you're getting that data in and you're able, to, if, if they're not getting that information, they can't improve the product. So arguably the AI can't get any more intelligent. So it's a difficult needle to thread, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 tough. And, you know, we human beings, less layman here, don't know what to look for or what the signs are necessarily, right? No. I buy a camera and I'm hoping that, you know, what they say is true. And it's unfortunate when we see things like this, we're like, oh, no, what on earth did it catch? But I guess if you're not trying to get the mistress in the front door or the back door, you should be okay. <laughs> this is this is why you know, every time you hear about a, another celebrity's photos being hacked or leaked, you know, the best way to make sure those photos are never out in the world, don't take them. Don't take them. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't take them. If you're questioning it for one second, the answer is probably no. <laughs> if, you, if you're taking pictures of your own bottom or 
front bottom someone and else's. you choose or someone else's front bottom, <laughs> then you know, don't do it. Just stop doing that. I, I, yeah. I honestly you have to you have to ask yourself. I talk about personal responsibility a lot on this show. And I come to the, the very simple conclusion that you just solve the problem by not causing the problem. It seems simple when you think about it. It does. It does seem simple. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, people we are idiots. not simple people, are we? <laughs> exactly. We are just not simple people. It is. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, you, you know, I'm just, you know, going back to the beginning of this show, I am looking forward to a little bit of a break during the holiday season. Mm. But I'm also looking forward to everything that follows right after it. So much fun stuff to talk about. Like it goes from being nice and quiet, and you're like, oh, "Okay, I need a break now," to just a flood of announcements and stuff, and hopefully new computers and new products. And we rinse and repeat every single year, and we are so excited to be able to bring it to you guys here. But something is changing. Definitely, something is changing because what I find—I mean, first off, we probably wouldn't have even suggested doing a show like this every single day if it were not for the absolute slew, and I love that word, slew, of new technology and technology news every day. There is something, I mean, I have to say, I, I want to say a big thanks to Elon Musk because he has made uh, <laughs> you know, Twitter just so much more exciting. Uh, it is so much more enjoyable. I actually read my Twitter uh, profile and my Twitter uh, feed now with popcorn. I absolutely love it. Uh, so I can go in there and I can uh, you know just just see what absolute carnage he's causing. It's brilliant, but also just there is so much more going on. There's so much more in the tech world, and tech is just such an intrinsic part of our lives now. It's not something. I mean, I was I was getting all worked up this week about Ira and you know Ira making big changes, and we're going to, that starts on Monday. And of course, if you haven't heard yesterday's episode, go back and listen to Janine and Troy talking to us about all that because it was very interesting getting them on to talk about the. The, the changes that I run, what's going on there. But, you know, I'm really passionate about these services and I think that they, they, they can work really well for us and they mean a lot to us because they, they make our lives better. And this is where I think we can have such great conversation. That's why I'm so glad we're here every day doing that, especially on a Saturday with you, getting a chance to break down some of these bigger, yeah. bigger stories through the week that we maybe don't get to because, you know, it's not necessarily something that our community would necessarily think it's of interest to them, but you know, you coming along actually allows us to to really broaden that, and and I think bring more people in, and and just talk about cool stuff like you know Phillips Hue, which I'm going to go and set that that bridge up. That's my next task. You should do that. that. I'm going to go watch a video that Philip uh, Philip Bouchard sent us. He sent us a video. I, I um, bet it's music. I bet he's playing an instrument. Is I don't he know. I, I, I hit play. Singing? I can't see an instrument. All I see is uh, the camera a little bit too close to his face. Okay, um, I can count the hairs on his face. That's, that's uh, definitely. I'm person. curious to see what it is. Yeah, excellent. Well, I would turn that volume up very slowly. Uh, listen, that's it for today. Thank you very much for being with us. I hope you feel better soon. I know you got the COVID. You're starting to wane on me. So go rest, get lots of liquids. Everyone else, have a great weekend. Catch you Monday. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.